the digital transition. Digital Transition, brought to you by Fulton Trotter Digital, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition podcast number four. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm chatting with Natspec CEO, Richard Choi. Today we'll be talking to Richard specifically about Natspec's role in Australia and the role that he plays as a CEO in delivering uh, services to the profession and the industry. Thanks a lot for being here, Richard. Well, thanks for having me, Nathan. So firstly, Richard, for those that aren't aware of who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I think the best way to describe me is an ex-designer. Being at Natspec, I no longer design, but I've worked as an engineer and within the architectural fraternity, as well as a fair bit of time on construction sites. I believe strongly in our industry. I believe that we can improve what we do. Um, And I believe that there is a role for all of us in social responsibility. That's definitely an interesting uh, bio, I guess I could say. But the the positive is, I guess, we, you know, you're out and about quite a lot and in industry events. So, for most people that are actually involved in current industry events, they'll be aware of who you are. But I guess, you know, for those that actually aren't aware of NatSpec's role, can you give us a little bit of an insight into uh, what NatSpec is and, and the role that NatSpec plays within industry? Uh, NatSpec is a not-for-profit organisation. We were formed actually over 40 years ago and formed by industry and government together. The objective of the organisation is to improve the quality of construction and through that improving productivity, sustainability and a better built environment. What we do is as an income source, we do the national building specification and that provides a foundation for those parts of documentation to ensure that projects uh, completed the way the designers wanted it. Yeah, it's 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 um, one of those things where once again industry would be well aware of Natspec's role and the the broad membership base that it, it entails, including uh, architects, engineers, master builders, etc. And I guess the role of Natspec, I guess is, you know, you've talked about a history just then of, of forty years. Now, yes, that doesn't just happen overnight. And and our practice since I've been involved with it has been utilising that spec um, as our base specification, at least for the, my duration here over the last 16 and a half years. But the role in that spec, I, I kind of, from my perspective, I see it as an evolving one. And uh, the reason why I say that is because over the last 10 years, NatSpec's involved, I guess, or, or started to develop a kind of a BIM portal on your website. Which obviously, sure. which obviously wouldn't be there if there weren't any con- wasn't any content backing behind it. But uh, and and then obviously there's other things as well, which I think would be good to touch on as part of this conversation, so people get a broader out uh, insight into that spec. Can you share with us? I guess we'll go through probably one at a time because there are a few of them. But can you share with us uh, the the current projects or the projects that Natspec have overtaken over la- undertaken over the last ten years that would be of interest to people? I think 
when you raised before that that spec is owned by architects and builders and also there is government as well. So the actually founders were the architects, engineers, quantity surveyors and builders. When government also came in, it meant that we had a very strong government focus on anything to do with built assets. And you can imagine that the wants and needs of all those different people starts pulling us each and every way. Yeah, it uh, does. It, it's been good in the sense that we are not involved in advocacy and policy, so we can remain neutral. But it meant that, in particular in the area of sustainability, first of all, and then digital information, we were in a nice neutral position where we can respond to the industry's requests, gather the appropriate information and then filter it and then feed it back to the, uh, back to the industry as a whole. So if I, I, if I put it in terms of information, you can, you can see how broad our ambit is. Yes, it is, it is very broad. It's very broad. And in fact, it was pre-2000 that we started getting involved in BIM. And it wasn't called BIM in those days. So by the time we hit 2005 when I joined NatSpec, we were already dabbling in XML, okay? Database formats of, of information, of words. So it's not just an Excel spreadsheet, but it's how you can capture information within databases. And that's the foundation for how we got into BIM. Yep. It's really been a response to, to requests more than, oh, we have this really, really strong philosophy that, that BIM's a great thing. And in fact, you know, we actually don't have that philosophy. Well, we don't say you have to use BIM. We say that if you're going to use BIM, you do it consistently. You do it the same way as everyone else is doing it and then we'll get productivity gain. Well, that's not NatSpec's role isn't actually to advocate for anything, as Correct. you said, with policy. And and I guess I know obviously we're here to talk about BIM today, but yeah. I guess one of the things that I guess I do want to kind of raise as well as something so that people have an awareness of the broadness that, that you play in your role. Oh, sure. <laughs> it, it, isn't just a, it isn't just about specifications in BIM. Not at all, not at all. We, our, late, our latest... Delivery has actually been with product conformity. And that's a very, very uh, touchy right. subject. It's uh, responding to the lacrosse fire. Yeah. I was actually in the UK when Grenfell Tower went up. We've been inundated with questions regarding NEO 200 and, of course, the Opal Tower in Sydney. So we are responding to information requests in a general sense, not on the project sense. So we would not say what actually happened on a project other than the government reports. Yes. Yeah. But it shows how suddenly we are pushed in a, another direction for the right reasons to improve the industry. Yeah, so is, that's essentially, I guess, what it is. And, and that's why I think NatSpec plays such an important role in our industry. It's, it's there, um, as, I, as you said, not as an advocate for BIM, but essentially a, a facilitator for consistent delivery of BIM across industry. Yes. And, and obviously the more important things being that all, all, all NatSpec is trying to assist in delivery is in good quality built assets Correct. Across, across the whole of the country. Now that's why you're involved in responding to other uh, unfortunate um, 
situations where where industry has to respond to um, mistakes or issues that have occurred uh, in structural fire or all those other issues yes. that are very important. It's it's a very broad outcome, and, and I and I'd encourage people to actually visit uh, the NatSpec website to actually experience and I guess uh, delve into that. And and most of the time, our client bases, I could honestly tell you, uh, probably wouldn't be aware of NatSpec. Well, sim- simple things like the technical resources that are available for free on our website, they become CPD for, or it's free CPD <laughs> for architects and engineers. Yeah. So they can download those documents and learn. But from my perspective, I guess where I'm coming from with my kind of pointed direction is is for clients that are looking to start to specify BIM deliverables, NatSpec would be a very great place for them to start. Yes, definitely. And and purely because it's a, an industry kind of driven response, trying to deliver consistency because BIM is, is all about reducing waste. Correct. And, and if we're moving in that direction, hopefully uh, clients don't try and come up with bespoke solutions um, because bespoke solutions essentially will keep them in isolation and then become a whole new methodology of doing things. Moving back from, I guess, that broad nature and as a good understanding of NatSpec and how it works, let's talk a little bit about um, NatSpec and, and your role currently on the board of ABAB. Now, in a previous uh, podcast, I talked to Andrew Kerthois. Yes. And Andrew's representing the Queensland Government on that, on, that, on that board. So for those that missed that podcast, it is the Australian BIM Advisory Board. From your perspective, how important is ABAB for asset owners in industry? ABAB is probably one of the most important groups in this space. Reason being is that government is a key asset developer, operator, owner, manager and all the rest. If government moves in a certain direction, it is the catalyst for industry to follow. Because if 30% of the projects are moving in that direction, why wouldn't you use it for everything? ABAB really is the group of government getting together to say what direction that they can do in a national sense. We recognise Australia as a federation, so there is no big hammer at the top saying you must do it this way. And in fact, you and I both know that a big hammer never works. But by getting the key government groups around the same table and working towards consistent frameworks, it really does move the whole industry forward. And I think, as an example, the latest documents out from ABAB, the BIM consistency report, which I'm glad that I had some dealings with, and the other document which you had some dealings with, the asset information requirements document, I think are fundamental for Australia moving forward in this space. I don't believe it would have happened or would have been accepted if it was just one government group or one industry group doing it. Yeah, state if government led if, or someone's correct. pushing a certain direction. Whereas so. this is government all coming together with industry to move in a certain direction, I think it now has feet. I think it will make a huge difference so that we're not all trying to reinvent the wheel. I think it's probably also a good time to commend NatSpec and the efforts that NatSpec uh, put together with regards to assisting in compiling those two documents. Appreciate and, that. Uh, and one other thing that I guess a shout-out really is important to is Neil Greenstreet. Oh, and, Neil did a fantastic job. And and he led that, uh, that, that, that asset information requirement document. So I was only a small participant in that, in that overall document. But uh, 
you know, the key thing is is that it, it demonstrates for people that aren't aware the leadership that NatSpec does have and the ability and the knowledge that NatSpec brings to the table to essentially assist industry in moving forward in a consistent and a, in the same direction. We've talked about obviously ABAB and, and, and the benefits that having, you know, all of the government agencies together at the same table. Now, I know that uh, recently, or you'd be most truly well aware of the number of uh, policies and, and documents that have been recently released across the country, you yes. know, from the various state government agencies. But from my perspective, being based out of Queensland, it must be rewarding to see specific mention in Queensland BIM principles from the state government here that NatSpec is part of that whole picture. Look, we're very, very happy to have that there. I think it's actually a reflection that we are owned by the industry and are owned by government. The fact that we're not trying to sell something They're means that we can be neutral. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say, well, my mother was a Queenslander, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm half Queenslander, so that's okay. Um, but I think it's really recognition that what we are doing is not an organisation but the industry doing. Yep. It's, it's the collective information from people like yourselves and others that the government can have faith that it's a very open system. It's open frameworks. It's not pushing one type of software or it's not pushing one type of philosophy, but it's incorporating information both locally and globally as to a solution that is reasonable. I'm first one to say it's not perfect. No, it, but it's evolving. But but, but the interesting comments that you know I was you know even the uh, kind of modesty from Andrew Kerthois when I spoke to him about the policy the Queensland government's just written, he talked in the same light. He said that these BIM principles may not be perfect, but at least it's something. And and that also goes to the critique I guess that many people have of of standards, be it Australian or international standards, and saying well. You know, why would you why would you use an international standard or an Australian standard? Because that's just the bare minimum. Now, the reality of it is, is that at least the bare minimum means that everyone's swimming in the same direction, albeit not perfect, but at least it's the same direction. And then, with everyone swimming in the same direction, using the kind of principles of uh, ISO nine thousand and one, people can then provide feedback loops to the Australian standards committees to then enable those those uh, standards to actually then evolve and, and then grow. And, and uh, you know, I, want, I wanted to touch on a bit later once we went through some of the other tools that uh, you guys have developed. Uh, it's almost like a call out to industry to, uh, to act and, and, and stuff like that. But when I do all the research and go back through, you know, the joys of seeing things and, and I remember going down to uh, project services, you know, over a decade ago and, and sitting down with uh, the likes of Tom Fussell and talking to him about the work that he was doing at the time before Project Service was, was disbanded and, and the work that was done from an industry's perspective that many years ago that sure. is all relevant now but it's right. kind of almost like a, a bit of Michael J. Fox back to the future. It, it is a little bit like that and, and I'm, look, I'm very proud to say that Tom Fussell is actually my chairman <laughs> so he's still very heavily involved in assisting the industry. And I very much hope to get him on in the near future. I'm sure he'll love to. Because there's a lot of lessons, I think, that can be learned that that from many perspectives um, has been lost in the industry. You know, project services was disbanded 
and all of those um, very talented people that worked from project services essentially have now moved into industry and, yes. and then obviously provided that knowledge into their, their current commercial companies. But uh, when you sit there and think about that, I'm, it'd be so interesting to see whether or not, you know, the, the experiences from the work that Tom and his team did that many years ago can be kind of almost uh, set as a starting block uh, so that it's not kind of going back from square one. I think you'll find what his interview would be very important because the best knowledge is knowing what went wrong, yeah. learning from the mistakes, yeah. not not just focusing it was great in this way but next time don't do it this way. Yeah, I know. That's a scary thing. But we're going off track and getting very excited about talking about uh, the past and I guess today it was more about making sure that people or asset owners were aware of the role that that NatSpec plays, but it's good get good getting a bit diverted sometimes. But um, now I, kind of, I want to move kind of towards, I guess, um, understanding the kind of tools or products that you've kind of uh, produced. And, you know, already you've kind of suggested, oh, you know, well, they're not perfect, but the reality is, is it's a starting point. And, and, you know, this is probably one where some people kind of start critiquing straight away. And, and you know, NatSpec has gone to a great deal of work kind of developing a big management plan template and other various guides. Yes. So, um, you know, from from our perspective, there's there's a lot of tools out there that you currently have that mostly they're industry focused, but at the same time, from a asset owner's perspective, and trying to start requesting BIM deliverables, it's actually a good place for them to start to kind of just do a little pre- preliminary research to understand what's going to occur or what things that actually could be relevant to them in terms of BIM uh, deliverables. From that perspective, I guess there's been a couple of uh, tools that I guess I'd like to touch on. Sure. And the first one obviously, or well, it's actually a suite of documents, which is your BIM management plan templates. Yes. Now, I think about three or four years ago, I think there was a, was, a, was an update. Yes. But I guess, and, and they'll probably need to, I think there's been talk around the industry already up here in Queensland about the need now that ISO 19650s come out. We now have a new s- series of uh, terminology Yes, that it might be worthwhile investing in uh, industry coming forward and doing uh, some work on it. But do you want to just touch on the suite of uh, documents that are part of that? So obviously there's the guide sure, and what the benefits are and stuff like that. You've already alluded to the fact that our information works for both from the perspective of both the asset owner as well as the disciplines. I think the first cap off the rank there was the National BIM Guide, which when we were asked by federal government to put one together, most people thought would follow, say, the American Institute of Architects Guide. That's a heavy document. That is a heavy document and I did have it on my desk, but right next to it on my desk was a document by Veteran Affairs in the USA. And Veteran Affairs is a client with multiple assets over 50 states. That's a small client. (laughs) Small client. But it it recognises that at the end of the day, when we talk about BIM, we're talking about asset management. That's all it is, yes. And therefore, the client's perspective should come first, in theory. So the BIM handbook, was an adaption of the Veteran Affairs document, with their permission, of course. And then we developed the Project BIM Brief, which in essence was the menu. The menu that says, I want this thing 
out of the 24 or so things you can get out of BIM. Yep. They were the first to offer cabs off the rank. So it was really trying to say, if you're a client and you want BIM, what do you understand by BIM? We were trying to develop the definitions, which as you rightfully pointed out, now with the ISO out, some of that terminology should change. And once again, I'll raise Neil here. Neil was <laughs> the chairman of Standards Committee's Mirror Committee for the ISO group. Yep. So we're very, very much aware of the definitions in the ISO. And yes, our documents will be updated to reflect the latest information, not only from the ISO, but the information globally. Yeah, and it's not, it's not, a, it's not a small task to achieve. And that's why it's important to, you know, understand where NatSpec stands in that as oh, well. Right, you guys right are from trying the start. to heaps of things. But our team, we've got a team of 20 and there's probably four people that work on in the BIM area. The first thing we thought of is, well, this is really nice. It's nice theory to say, well, this is what you're going to do and it's the nice theory that someone's going to say, well, I want this from BIM. But how do you get started? And that led to, in 2012, the getting started with BIM to give new users or people moving into the area that broader understanding and then came out the, the management templates, the uh, matrix element uh, database for BIM objects and a whole lot of other forms of information which assist the industry. What we didn't try to do is do everything. We There are certain, <laughs> certain areas where... There, they can be very controversial. So if we take something like LOD, I won't even try to define what LOD means. Oh, we could start an interesting <laughs> debate just between the both of us on that. So, so there were certain things we decided we'll stay away from because they were too controversial and there wasn't an all-of-industry perspective on it. Yeah, and, and I guess it's a reason why, and I know I've had numerous conversations with Neil Greenstreet about it is in terms of you know, maybe picking a camp for a classification system. Correct. And you're like, well, no, no, we're, we're not going to do that. And and rightfully so now we've started to see some agencies across Australia um, make their selection. So Transport yes. for New South Wales have picked Uniclass 2015. VDAS also notes Uniclass as their, as their chosen classification system. So once these kind of things start to put themselves into places, it then enables NatSpec to essentially produce more outputs Correct. based upon an industry direction, I sense, in terms of response to industry's requirements. Yes. Now, I guess that's kind of a stepping into one of the, the next tools that you have created and, and that's the uh, the Open BIM object standard. So I just want to touch on that briefly in terms of what that document is because that's a recently released document. It was released last year. I must admit it, it actually was released probably two and a half years late. I was hoping to have it out a while back, but I won't get into the politics of why I got caught up. Essentially, if you're building a building, you use the old term bricks. Right? Yep. So behind me on the shelf, you've got some architectural Lego <laughs> structures bricks, there. Bricks, yeah. And if you're putting together a Lego structure with bricks that don't fit together, it ain't going to work. So the BIM object standard is about having a standard system or standard size of bricks so that you can build your models. Yep. It also has the objective that you can use the same bricks 
across different projects for different clients. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. So the whole concept of a standard is that you get standard bricks, or in this case, standard objects. The focus is definitely on OpenBIM. It is not software specific. It's about the property sets for each of the objects. And that's what we've defined. It's not new. What we've put the, together is not new. It's all global practice. It is definitely based on building smart and it reflects multiple classification systems, multiple everything. Already, oh, it was developed with New Zealand, so thanks to Master Spec New Zealand. Yep. It has already been taken up by Japan, IIBH of Japan. It's already been taken up in South Africa. Uh, already Switzerland, the USA and a couple of other countries have shown interest because they're all seeing that we, we didn't reinvent the wheel. We just took the parts that exist and put them together for everyone to use. In each of the countries, you would use the core and you may have an appendix yeah. that would reflect your own local practice. So to me, it is a stepping stone for us doing things the same way across, as I said, projects and across clients. Now, there's a couple of interesting things that I'm starting to pick up and, and, and what I'm trying to do when I interview people is to try and catch people out when we're starting to talk about terminology that are very uh, familiar to us but not familiar potentially to people that are new to BIM. And, and we've, we've, we've kind of in the last kind of paragraphs between the two of us, we've kind of touched on classifications. Yes. Now... From my perspective, I see classification in terms of a plain English description is essentially um, when I look at a filing cabinet, it's an it's a naming strategy of what those folders would be. So you know, it's just a methodology of naming folders. Sure. Which is consistent. Now that's my thought with what I'd call classifications. Then now we've touched on properties. Yes. Now properties would be you know, for example, my thoughts on that would be within that folder. An, an element gets, or a piece of paper gets put within that within that folder because it's it belongs in that folder. Yes. And then we have standardized um, naming or headings that are on that piece of paper, and those headings are consistent across all of the different folders. So therefore, someone can essentially, like you talked about with XML before, it becomes a searchable electronic database of this information. So I'm yes. hoping that kind of clarifies it. But do you see it any differently? Even within our organisation, we have differences of opinion <laughs> on classification. Um, the example I give with regard to the classifications for construction, uh, i.e. the NATSPEC classification system or, or UniClass or others, is about how you find information, exactly what you said. But... Information is found by different people for different purposes. If I go into a library, and this is the example I give when I go to universities and present, if I go into the library and I want to find a book on Paris because I'm going to travel to Paris, I don't just go into a room and ferret around for everything. I know if I go to, and hopefully I've got this right, 914, 
that is the area where I'll find all my tourist books. Yeah, well, it's a and Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, it's so, a Dewey Decimal System. So it's consistency. It's a system for me to find that information. In any library. That's right. Yeah. So information all around the world actually does follow an ISO standard. As that, much as most people don't recognise it. <laughs> that's right. So we, we believe in classification systems, whether Uniclass is the right one or not. That, as I said, we, we disagree with that even in our office. I look at systems that work for infrastructure as much as buildings. So I've got a tendency to look at the system in Sweden. Yep. I also look at the system in Denmark. Each has positives and negatives. And the system in the end that may be used for asset management may be different than the system used for construction, but in the digital world it doesn't matter yeah, because it's, just, it's about mapping. Yeah, that's it's right. not about one classification system. It may be multiple classification systems. Yeah, and I guess the key takeaway, and I guess we've touched on it a couple of times with regards to this, is that no standards are perfect. No standards are perfect. But, but by picking a standard, it enables you to achieve consistency during specific phases of that project. Correct. And then if if you'd like to change it, there is an ability to map it out and change it in a digital realm in the future if you need to. So Yes. But following a standard enables it to occur easier easier. And and I guess that's the reason why I guess I promote open BIM standards because it's based upon an ISO standard. Def- definitely. And one one of the things you mentioned to me prior to, to starting this podcast was the Pareto rule, the 2080 rule. If we can provide information that can be used 80% of the time, yeah, that's great. If you're trying to provide information that you can use 100% of the time, you'll never get there. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that's mission impossible. Not only has it got to be open, it's got to be accessible and it's got to be usable to the majority. Yeah. And and I guess the last tool, which I guess kind of almost ties into what we've just discussed anyway, is is your NatSpec BIM Properties Generator. Yes. Now, that's a tool that you have online on your website as well. Do you just want to touch on that briefly? Well, that, that one is one of the other foundation bricks for for all of BIM and asset or digital assets. Yeah, management, yeah. Digital asset management, digital asset information, whichever terminology you want to use. Uh, Kevin Rooney from our organisation developed that. And it is the newer version of the object matrix element database. Yes, the lovely uh, user interface yes. Excel spreadsheet. Yes, that was, which was no one could use because it was so big and so cumbersome but was still based on building Smart International's IFC system and the properties generators is the evolution of it. It's where you can actually just search for the properties you want for an object. And it's it's written in a consistent way. It's written in an open format. It is available freely for anyone to use. And, and, down, and downloadable. And downloadable. Yeah. It is not new, as I said. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was already there, but we've tried to make it a lot easier for everyone else. What I... What I th- Another part which is important about it is that we're adding in additional property sets 
in our next version for services and the AI or Australian Institute of Quantity Surveyors information. We've already gathered some of the key government department information that will go into it as well. And what we're, we've already started working in developing software that will allow any object to be checked against the properties generator and against the standard so that it gives feedback to users where they've done something right or wrong. The properties generator is not there to create all the properties. It actually gives you the advantage of saying, at this stage, I'm only interested in this type of information, but I, I may just want the architectural information yep. and the cost information. And you can tick the box and that's all you get. Or you can say you want everything and, and I'm afraid your model's going to get very big if you want everything. Another matrix. Another matrix. Yeah. Uh, but once again, it is a cornerstone or a foundation stone for the future. But I guess what, what that's going to turn into is, you know, you touched on the fact that you're starting to capture government information requirements. Yes. That, yes. that properties generator essentially could become the government's EIR. In many ways, it will become the government's EIR. And you can then, you know, essentially that's the the, the standard or the or the or the place for supply the supply chain to go to to get an understanding of well, if I'm going to deliver work for the government, these are the type of expectations on the information deliverables that are going to be required of me for this specific um, built asset. Correct, well, and it's really important to note what we're talking about there is, are the properties, not the objects. It, yeah. Therefore, it, it's not tied to a software. If you're dealing with it for construction or you're dealing with it for design or you're dealing with it for cost, you may have multiple software platforms. The information should be able to go into all of those as long as it's as it's as long as it is in IFC. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And and the the naming and I guess the key thing with this properties generator is the naming structure. Correct. So we're kind of going back to that comment where we talked about the headings that are used. We, we're, we're already working with Switzerland, so it's becoming multilingual. I might just have to learn some Swedish. But, <laughs> but, no, Switzerland. <laughs> oh, Switzerland. Oh, that's the other side of it, isn't it? But um, I guess in terms of there's a couple, there's a couple more questions I have for you today and, and the first one I guess is in regards to almost similar to a comment that we made last time we actually caught up. And, and it was to a, a, a table of people, I guess, per se, of various uh, industry representatives. And for members of NatSpec, how important do you think it is for them to, now that there's government organisations um, putting uh, commentary forward or suggestions that NatSpec is the methodology or the tools that will be used are NatSpec-based or ISO-based, what importance is it for members in, within industry now to be actually providing uh, NatSpec with their feedback, with their support in terms of providing expertise to assist NatSpec in essentially growing this suite of tools to actually meet the needs of industry and essentially meet the needs of the asset owners being government at this point in time. But then as that becomes a starting point, I guess, for if everyone's working on the same level in terms of if all the information's there, NatSpec can provide it all, it will put NatSpec in a position or industry in a position where 
it will start to reduce the the feeling or the need that some asset owners have to create bespoke solutions. Is that something you agree with? I think you've said it all. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that wasn't a question, maybe it was a statement. That was a statement <laughs> and and thank you very much for that <laughs> statement. Again, I'll emphasize the fact that the information is already owned by industry. It's been developed by industry. So number of years back we, we were saying that it was put out to 300 BIM team members for comment. That number has more than tripled now. Doesn't mean we get a thousand answers but there are a thousand people that have the opportunity to comment. The important thing that I, I want everyone to know is that we're a very open group. If you don't like something, tell us. We'll consider it. Yep. We won't necessarily agree with you, but we won't ignore it. And if we say we want the NASPEC members to get involved, it is we want constructive criticism. We want to make sure that we're moving forward with the best of breed. We're not holding back. And we want to be able to reflect opportunity by not just saying this is right. So it's, a, you know, everyone out there, whether you love us or hate us, give us feedback so we can improve what we're doing. Then it becomes industry-led. Correct. So, Richard, you know, thanks very much for taking the time to sit down with me today. And it's been a, an interesting roller coaster and, and, and diversions, as, as I imagined it would have been <laughs> when we started. But um, it's very important for people to actually understand, you know, the role that NatSpec plays in industry. And, and it's important that asset owners understand the benefits of actually um, looking and, and, and specifying NatSpec um, guides or, or yes. methodologies instead of going down that, that, that kind of bespoke route. I have one question that I ask every one of my interviewees and, and you're, you're only the third to get, get, get hassled on it, but uh, what does BIM mean to you? I think I alluded to social responsibility at the very start of this podcast. I believe that BIM leads to better outcomes for society. Now, that sounds weird. It's not so better outcomes for society. What's that got to do with building information modelling? If you use digital technology, whether it be for vertical or horizontal assets... It means there's better planning and better use of the facilities. This is a bit like the argument of form over function or function over form. So if assets are planned and built better, then they can be utilised better, which gives value to society overall. Example, better transport means that more people can get to work quicker, therefore they'll enjoy their jobs better, they would become more productive, better schools, better hospitals, better homes. I believe that the advent of digital information, digital technologies actually will lead to better social outcomes. Yeah. Well, it, it's almost like people's fear of robots, isn't it? Correct. And, and, and that's gonna, artificial intelligence is going to remove jobs, but I think it's actually going to make life better. It, it will. And there is also that balance in that area. Oh, well, there always is, isn't there? But thanks very much once again, Richard, for your time. So for more information on NatSpec, please head over to our website and find the links to the various pages and documents that we've discussed today for further reading. So I look forward to sharing our next podcast in a fortnight's time. 
Until then, good luck with your digital transition. If you would like assistance with your digital transition, please contact us at digital at fultontrotter.com.au. For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. We would also appreciate it if you provide us with a rating and take the time to provide us with a review. Thanks for listening to The Digital Transition, brought to you by Fulton Trotter Digital. Digital Transition.